On March 22, 2018, an ordinary family said goodbye to an extraordinary man. He wasn't just extraordinary because he had reached the youthful age of 107. He wasn't even extraordinary simply because he had served in government for over 25 years or because he had won a chess tournament at the age of 99. Johann van Hulst was remarkable, extraordinary, because he had saved over 600 Jewish children from Nazi genocide. In 1940, Van Hulst had been appointed deputy principal of the Reformed Teacher Training College, a seminary in Amsterdam, as World War II swept across Europe. Van Hulst's first contributions, including helping convert the college into a shelter for Dutch teachers in danger for refusing to sign the oath of loyalty to Germany. By 1942, Van Hulst began an even more radical means of rescuing Jews in the Netherlands. Nazis used a theater across the street from the college as a deportation center for Jewish families. As part of the process, children were separated from their parents and sent to a nursery next door. And the nursery shared a back garden with the college, and Van Hulst seized that opportunity to step in and save the children. By secretly coordinating operations with nursery workers, Van Hulst and his colleagues helped smuggle children out of the city. They were courageous. They canvassed potential adoptive families who could take the endangered children into their homes without detection. Then, partnering nursery workers covertly removed the names of the children from the Nazis' registry. Van Hulst and the network of secret deliverers arranged for the children to be hidden in containers such as laundry baskets and laundry sacks. Deliverers would time their clandestine mission for when a tram passed blocking the view of Nazi guards so another resistance worker could ride away with a hidden child and save their life. These rescued toddlers would live out the rest of the war in hiding. This deliverance effort lasted until 1943 when the nursery was closed and its Jewish director was sent to the death camp at Auschwitz. Van Hulst continued to help other Jews in danger until he himself was forced to go into hiding just three weeks before liberation. On March 8, 1972, the World Holocaust Remembrance Center recognized Johann Van Hulst as righteous among the nations in honor to describe non-Jews who risked their lives to save Jews from certain genocide. In an age when most North Americans enjoy relative safety, it could be difficult to understand the depths of Van Hulst's sacrifice. But we can acknowledge with appreciation the high cost of deliverance and the glorious freedom his efforts purchased for at least 600 precious children. We're going to hear another story about another brave soul who helped to set some other children free right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. I hope you're having a wonderful Monday. You are listening to God's Word for Life companion podcast. I'm your host, LJ Harry, and today's episode stems from a lesson dated September 4th, 2022, entitled, Slaves Can Be Delivered. We are in a brand new quarter in a brand new series. This series is called The God of Deliverance. And today's episode stems from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, where the writer of Hebrews writes, For we are made partakers of Christ, 
if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. Let's talk about that other group of children. They were Jews too. The children of Israel were in a position they never saw coming. And it just happened slowly over time as evil forces exerted more and more power in their lives. Through time and circumstance, the enemy slowly took away their rights. And by the time the Israelites realized what happened, they were entrenched and enslaved in bondage. Hope seemed a million miles away. The enemy works like that. This is a perfect example of how Satan draws many people into spiritual slavery, how even believers can backslide as the devil tries to chip away at our conscience and eliminate small disciplines in our lives. We might begin to think, well, maybe this part of godly living isn't that important, or this small sin, it won't hurt me that much. After all, it's not as bad as what other people are doing or those other sins. But eventually, through gradual regression, the devil can lock us back up in the same slavery God had delivered us from. So here's a question. What are the spiritual thermometers in your life that help indicate how healthy you are spiritually? Now, it wasn't always like this. The Egyptians didn't always oppress the Hebrews. In fact, once Joseph, a Jew, had held a position of authority in their government so high, he was second only to Pharaoh himself. But sometimes governments forget their history. And those who forget their history are often prone to repeat it. The Egyptians did not remember what God had done, his miraculous provision through Joseph's supernatural ability to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. They didn't remember how the God of the Hebrews provided for them through seven years, through Joseph's exceptional God-given ability to manage and administrate. And because they forgot those previous blessings, they committed some pretty egregious sins. We must not make the same mistake they made. We must not forget the blessings God has poured out on us in the past. Whenever seasoned Christians fall into sin, it's mainly because they've forgotten or they've discounted the many miracles and blessings God has given them in the past. Maybe you've wondered this. I certainly have. How can someone who is Holy Spirit filled and Jesus name baptized, how can they ever walk away? Well, the answer is pretty simple, yet tragic. They slowly, gradually forget. Here's another question. What indicators signal that someone has forgotten the past, especially the blessings and the miracles in the past? These might be changes in somebody's personal life or maybe even in the world in general, but what typical indicators signal that somebody has forgotten what God has done for them? Well, although Egypt forgot Israel, Egypt forgot God, God did not forget Israel. Even in their distress, God had a plan to deliver them. We read that plan in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Even while Pharaoh was trying to kill every Hebrew baby boy, God protected many of those children, and one of them was named Moses. His infancy was exceptional. After his birth, his mother hid him for three months, but she could hide him no longer. The guard was about to close in and find him, so she formed a floating basket and sent him down the river. And undoubtedly, the basket left her hands with a prayer as she sent her baby boy downstream, down the Nile River, filled with alligators and danger. But God heard her prayer, and he demonstrated his providence and his power. The person to save the baby was actually Pharaoh's very own daughter. She'd come down to the river, and she saw the child, and immediately she had compassion on him. And as she swaddled this baby boy, Moses' sister ran from the bushes where she was watching and hiding. 
and she offered to find a Hebrew woman to nurse and raise the child. Excuse me, ma'am, I, I will, I'll help you find a Hebrew. I overheard you say that this is a Hebrew baby. Do you want me to find somebody who can help nurse him and help him grow? And she said, well, yes, of course. So where did Moses' sister run? Right back to Moses' mother. Pharaoh was trying to have all these baby boys killed, especially this baby boy, because this baby boy would be the deliverer. But Moses was raised by his own mother with the protection of the Egyptian government and being paid by the Egyptian government to raise her own baby boy. That's amazing providence. Now, few of us have ever experienced literal slavery Many of us have experienced spiritual or emotional or psychological slavery. Certainly many of us have experienced trauma, either by the circumstances of life or just by the wickedness of humanity that have left us tortured by doubt, by fear. Others have committed such great sin that it's left them overwhelmed by guilt and self-condemnation. But no matter the size or the cause of spiritual bondage, our God can set us free. There are doubtless many testimonies of those who are listening to this episode from a wide variety of situations that God has set you free. The same God who delivered the Israelites and delivered our elders and delivered our leaders, he can deliver us. So think about your own life, what you have seen, what you have heard. What are some testimonies of God's deliverance in your life and others? After God providentially protected Moses in the river as a baby, Moses grew up and he fled from the house of Pharaoh after Moses killed an Egyptian. Then Moses lived in the backside of the desert, a little place called Midian, where he received his formal calling to deliver the children of Israel from their slavery in Egypt. We read that formal calling in Exodus chapter 3. So Moses returned to Egypt, where the miraculous work of God delivered the Hebrews from their bondage through ten supernatural plagues. After the Hebrews were delivered, God gave them the law, a series of commandments for them to follow, not just because God wanted control over them, But the law was given to keep the Israelites in healthy relationship with God and with each other, to keep them from falling back into slavery ever again. And while God gave them these commandments, the Lord also gave them a prophecy of another deliverer who would arise one day, much like Moses. And we know that deliverer to be the Messiah. Moses was used by God to deliver the Hebrews, but God in his divine foreknowledge knew this was not the last time the Israelites would need to be delivered. Since God exists outside of space and time, he understood Israel would continue to sin, continue to turn to false gods, continue to fall back into slavery. Moses was a precursor and a type of the ultimate deliverer who would one day deliver all people for all time from all sin. Of course, this deliverer would be Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 3, verses 22 to 26, Peter preached a sermon confirming that Jesus was the prophet foretold in Deuteronomy 18. But the deliverance Jesus offered through his death on Calvary's cross was greater than anything Moses could have ever offered. This is why we no longer look to the law of Moses for salvation. Jesus offered a more complete salvation. Therefore, we're no longer bound by the law. The writer of John's gospel phrased it like this, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 17. The law was not sufficient to keep us out of slavery like the grace and truth of Jesus Christ is. The grace Jesus offers is unmerited favor. We deserve slavery, and yet God has given us the opportunity to be free. Truth refers to reality and fact. 
We can only experience ultimate truth in Jesus Christ. Biblically, truth is not abstract. Truth is a person. That person is Jesus. Both the truth and grace Jesus offers are freely available to us. The problem is not availability, but our willingness to accept what Jesus freely offers. We are just one choice away from salvation, from freedom. We can choose today to receive the grace and truth Jesus is offering. We repent of our sins. We submit to baptism in the name of Jesus and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit with the biblical supernatural sign of speaking with other tongues, just like they did throughout the New Testament. When we choose salvation, we are choosing to receive the unmerited favor and blessings of the Lord Jesus. That's grace. And to live an overcoming life in the higher reality God desires for us. That's truth. So think about grace and truth, especially in a postmodern world where truth is, is often said to be relative. There is no absolute truth, which interestingly enough is an absolute statement, but that's another discussion for another time. How would you tell a friend or coworker about God's grace and truth? Sometimes when Christians speak of the experiences in the Old Testament versus the New, we we talk about the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. But remember, both are God's idea and His design, and both were appropriate for the time in which they were given. But the Old Covenant was never intended to be permanent. It was more like a tent, less like a house. Paul wrote that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It was a tutor to lead us to the teacher. When Jesus died and rose again, he established the new covenant. Under the old covenant, many sacrifices had to be made for all kinds of different problems and sins. But under the new covenant, Jesus offered himself one time for sin forever. He was the single sacrifice once and for all. And his sinless sacrifice was efficacious enough to cover all sins of all humanity for all time. Thank God we still live in the glorious glow of that glorious day in that new covenant where Jesus' sacrifice still covers our sin. The old covenant was never the end goal. The writer of Hebrews, whomever he or she may be, made it very clear the law was a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of those things. Hebrews 10 verse 1. The law could not make people perfect. Instead, when the children of God came forward to make their sacrifices, their sins were rolled ahead year after year, waiting for the ultimate sacrifice that could only come through the Messiah. It's ironic. There are people in our day who want to go back to that old covenant law. They want to go back to that day where they have to atone for their sin themselves. They try to live by the Mosaic law, and they sell themselves again into slavery. When Paul, who loved the Old Testament, loved the Mosaic Law, he fought for it. In fact, even killed Christians in defense of it. But he himself understood that the Old Covenant only led us into slavery. We live with a veil over our hearts if we continue to live under that Old Covenant. But the veil over one's heart does not have to be permanent. When sincere people turn their hearts over to God, that veil will be taken away. For 2 Corinthians chapter 3 reads, The Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When we receive the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, we experience the full liberty Jesus Christ desires for us. Here's another question. What did you see and understand better after you received the Holy Spirit that you did not receive or understand before? 
The Pharisee Nicodemus was well-versed in the law of Moses. He came to Jesus by night, secretly clandestine. He recognized that Jesus was a teacher come from God. However, Jesus was more than just a special teacher, more than just a gifted rabbi. He was the Messiah. So Jesus answered a question Nicodemus never asked and told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, which he qualified later as of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God, John 3, verses 3 through 5. For all of Nicodemus' knowledge and training, Nicodemus could not understand what Jesus was saying. Could there really be freedom from the constraints of the law? They had followed it rigorously for thousands of years. Could there really be hope for a Messiah at this point in their history? Nicodemus seemed genuinely curious. So Jesus revealed to Nicodemus a part of his nature in the now famous John 3, verses 16 through 17 passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus had not come to bring death. Jesus had not come to condemn. Jesus had not come to keep people in slavery. Jesus came to bring freedom and life. Every one of us have an opportunity today to choose Jesus and the life and freedom he offers. We don't have to be slaves to our situations. We can respond today and start the journey to receive everything God desires for us. However, it is upon us to respond. God is a perfect gentleman and will not force his grace and truth on anybody. Rather, he waits patiently for us to choose him. So let's not wait. Let's not delay. Let's choose him while we have the chance. Okay, we wrap this up. If you've ever been to the circus or ever seen an elephant perform in a circus or a zoo, you might be amazed at how the handler can control this massive creature, this this massive ginormous pachyderm who weighs a hundred times more than the trainer. But the elephant performs tricks and stunts completely submitted to the trainer, even though the elephant could easily crush the trainer with one movement. But the most impressive stunt is probably when the performance is over and the handler walks away. And sometimes the handler ties a small rope around the elephant's ankle and attaches the rope to a small stake in the ground, almost like like a little puppy on a leash. Leaves the elephant for a long period of time, just attached with a rope to a stake. The elephant could easily break that rope and pull up that stake and wander away, but, but it often remains right there, although freedom is one choice away. Here's why. When the elephant was just a little baby, the trainers attached some large, heavy chains to the baby elephant's ankle so it could not break free. And eventually, the baby elephant stopped resisting because it hurt. When the elephant gives up, the trainers no longer need those heavy chains, but now they can lead it around with a small rope, no matter how large the elephant grows because it's used to being tied up. Brutal attacks of the enemy are designed to wear us down over time. They're designed to cause us to lose hope, to give in to the lie that we're not strong enough to resist. The devil would love for us to believe the only option is bondage, slavery, but we are not sentenced to slavery the rest of our lives. When we have Jesus living within us, we become like that massive elephant, the heavy chains that used to bind us are weak ropes. And we live a life free from sin and bondage, one choice away from freedom. But if we allow the tricks of the devil to deceive us into thinking we are still weak and powerless, we might allow ourselves to remain in spiritual slavery. Let's not be like that. 
Let's not be led around by a small rope or a small habit or a small addiction or a small condemnation. If you will make that decision toward Jesus Christ, choose freedom, choose to be set free and live in the freedom Jesus has purchased for us, we will be free and those he sets free are free indeed. I would like us to pray right now that God would set us free and keep us free. The truth will make us free. Let's pray God will set us free and keep us free. Lord Jesus, today we decide, we choose you. We choose this day whom we will serve, and we choose you. We choose your grace. We choose your truth. We choose you. I pray, Lord, if anybody out there is still spiritually enslaved, you would set them free. Give them exactly what they need to make the decision toward you, to choose you, and set them free, and set them free indeed. I pray for liberty. I pray for freedom. I pray for a miracle in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Work wonders in the lives of those who listen to this podcast. I pray it today, all for your glory, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Hey, be sure to click subscribe and share, and you'll never miss an episode, and neither will your friends or your family. Also, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. We've got some awesome resources And we're going to have a lot of those at General Conference when we convene in Orlando. So if you are going to be there at General Conference as part of the United Pentecostal Church, I will see you in Orlando. And if you see me, please come up and say hello. I would love to hear your story. I would love to hear if this podcast has been a blessing to you, especially if one particular episode has been a blessing to you. I'd love to hear about that. So come and see me. I'll be somewhere around the General Conference area typically around the Division of Publications booth, Pentecostal Publishing House, and here, there, and sometimes everywhere. I look forward to meeting you. Head over to PentecostalPublishing.com, pick up some of those resources, or just get them there at General Conference. Next week, we continue our brand new series on the God of Deliverance, and we will learn, continuing the story of Moses, the next lesson episode is called Leaving Slavery. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.